Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. If you have a Bible, we're going to go to the book of Luke, the book of Luke. I have a nice big Bible for you this morning, trying to, you know, make up for a small ego. Bigger Bible to compensate for my insecurities. I want to give you a bit of a Bible study this morning, but we are bringing to a close a series that we've been in that's simply entitled Follow, and, and in the evenings we've been talking about Unfollow, and we're talking about how we can be fully uh, devoted followers of Jesus, and Jesus gave us an invitation. He said, if you would follow me, if you would follow me, and we've been talking about that, and I've got a couple of passages of Scripture I want to read out this morning. They're both kind of wow-worthy passages. You'll figure it out as we go why they're wow-worthy. But feel free to insert a wow just anytime you feel the need. Um, if it's really uh, impacting your life, just say it backwards and we'll know that it's really impacting you specifically. Uh, yeah, Jillian's has had a backwards one over there. All right, Luke 14, 25. Large crowds were following with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. And if anyone does not carry his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first, down and, uh, first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Say it again. Wow. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure heap. It is thrown out. Come over to Luke chapter 18 and verse 18. A certain ruler came to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, be a good person. All these I have kept since I was a boy, the ruler said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack with everything you have, with all that you own, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, the man became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left everything we had. We have left all we had to follow you. 
I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. In our first passage of scripture, we've got Jesus making his way from A to B. And the Bible says that as he's going about that journey, that a lot of people are following him. A large crowd is following him. And let's make mental note today that whenever you have a large crowd, you have crowd think. You have people that are along for the journey without intentionality. When you've got a lot of people agreeing in the same consensus, you'll normally have a few opinion makers and a lot of people that are just going along with the, with the general direction that everybody else is going in. And Jesus wants to make it abundantly clear. Just because you're part of the crowd doesn't mean you've got a personal relationship. Just because you're about the grand journey, that every, just because you're bought into the behavior of everybody else doesn't mean that this is real for you. And for everybody in this room, let's get it clear. Just because you come to church on a Sunday, it doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you're in a worship environment doesn't mean you are a worshiper. Just because you've been around the things of religion, it doesn't mean that Jesus is able to change your life. And in order for this to be really clear, Jesus goes on and He says, listen, I gotta make this clear. I don't want, I don't want anybody to think that their location or their environment is somehow enough to change their lives. I'd like to change your life. I'd like to impact you, but let's get real about what that's going to mean. He said, if anyone would really come after me, not follow me down the road, but have a relationship with me at the center of their life, if you're gonna have that relationship change you, then you have got to, and then he uses the most emotive word in the world, hate. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must hate, hate his father, his mother, his sister, his children, even his own life. That's a strong word. Now, every time this word hate is used in the Bible, it is literally translated hate. And when, when we get the Bible though, unfortunately, we get it translated from from Greek to English, and when we get that translation, we get a lot from the translation, but sometimes things are missing because there's only one way that we understand hate. And for us, the word hate in our reference means to despise. So I don't like you, I despise you, I resent you, I have animosity towards you. And in hearing that, we hear the wrong thing when Jesus uses this word. He uses it and it is a strong word and it needs to be strong and I'm not trying to walk back the teachings of Jesus. Let's make that real clear. It's not about us making the teachings of Jesus more palatable, it's about understanding what a relationship with Jesus really means. That's, that's more important, right? But in this context, this word hate, it, it is every time translated hate, but it simply means to love less, to love less. He's saying, listen, this is the way it's going to work. If you want a relationship with me, if you wanna be a follower of me, if you're running into a room and you could grab either your father or me, if, you're, if there's a building on fire and you've gotta grab one thing, it, it can't be a difficult decision between the most intimate relationships in your life and me. If this relationship is going to take place, if following me is going to happen, 
It's got to be a relationship with Jesus, daylight, and every other love and desire of your life. You have got to place as a distant second everything else in your world if you are going to be my follower. Wow. That's a huge thing for Jesus to put out there. You've got to think about the things that you love, the people that you care about. You've got to make them lower. You've got to love me. Then you've got to think about everything else in your world, and you've got to separate it, and you've got to create me, daylight, other stuff. And in an age where we are encouraged to sample little bits of what we want in order to make up our kind of consumeristic picture of religion or spirituality or goodness, this is for us a really challenging presentation. Because he's saying, if you want a relationship with God to impact your world, then Jesus can't become one of many. He has to be the number one love in your life and everything else must be a distant second. I love you more than my parents. I love you more than my wife. I love you more than my children. I love you, Jesus, more than my own life, my own reputation, my own career, my own sense of well-being. You are number one and everything else is second. Why? Because a relationship with Jesus is not a small offer. When you discover the price tag, you normally discover the intrinsic value, right? If you're ever online and you're on Alibaba and they're offering you a pair of Nike shoes for $16, then let me just tell you, they might say Nike, but the truth is that they don't have the support, they're not made of leather, it's vinyl, it's not gonna, don't run in them, you'll break your legs, but at the end of the day, you can get something, but it has not, Jesus is saying, listen, if you want a real relationship with me, don't think that this comes as some kind of like little, you don't have to, you don't tip and get a transformative experience. You don't get me and make it somehow something that is opt-in, opt-out, like it today, don't like it tomorrow. If you want me and if you want what I have on offer, then you have to embrace me fully and completely and you have to put me higher and then put daylight and then put everything else in your life a distance That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then in order for us to really understand this, he goes into two examples. And Jesus says, so look, listen, suppose if you, one of you wants to build a tower. Now notice he says a tower. He's not talking here about a barn or a house. He specifically mentions a tower. And even today, where in Auckland we have a sky tower, in Tokyo where they have a sky tree, in New York where they have an Empire State Building, we understand that towers are different from other constructions because they are elevated and they offer two things that other buildings don't. They offer influence or identity and they offer security. In, in this age, we even understand the Tower of Babel. It was about saying, this will mark us. This will define us. Jesus says, listen, if you want me in your life, I am going to give you a sense of personal identity that is gonna separate you from everything that is, you're gonna, you're gonna stand out, you are going to be different, and the tower was also used in these times to launch arrows from for security. And he's saying, listen, I will be your rock. I will be your fortitude. I will help you. I will anchor you against the storms of life. Are you with me so far? But he's saying, listen, if you're gonna build that tower, then the first thing you've gotta do is you've gotta sit down and ask yourself, if I'm gonna start building it, do I have what it takes to finish? Because 
If I don't have what it takes to finish, then I'm gonna start building it, get halfway along, run out of resources or resolve, and quit along the way, and then everybody's gonna walk past, see that half-finished tower, and ridicule, Jesus used this word, ridicule you, and say, here's that guy who started but couldn't finish it. That's my fear for our generation is that we start along this journey of religion because we buy into the crowd or we buy into the environment or we buy into kind of like this just group and it's like I got my, my group and you know like we're, we love the life of the Christian environment. But then along the way, sometimes people who have started the journey of faith don't finish it. And then we look at them, people look at them and they say, well, he tried religion. He tried religion. And let's just get it clear, Jesus is not trying to just make you good or cute. He's not trying to make you nice. I mean, I hope that following Jesus makes you more loving and tolerant. I hope it makes you more kind. I hope it makes you more faithful. But at the end of the day, Jesus is not just trying to change your personality to make you a a more agreeable person. He is trying to fundamentally change you. He's trying to make your eternity heaven and not hell. He's trying to free you from the world and all of its desires. He's trying to set your direction on the right course. And he's saying, listen, he's saying, man, if you're gonna get that, then let's just realize to build that kind of tower, you gotta ask yourself, are you willing to put me first and everything else a distant second? Because my fear for our generation is that we have just enough of the Christian you know, experience that we are inoculated, but not enough of a relationship with Jesus that we're truly transformed that we've been around it enough that we can say, well, I tried it, but we haven't got enough that we truly are awakened to the wonder that a real relationship with Jesus actually brings. Because when Jesus is at the center of your life, life is fundamentally different. When you have abandoned yourself to the great love of God, my friends, your life is radically different. But don't think for a second that we can get that when every love is on equal footing in my life. No, Jesus must be first, then there must be daylight and everything else a distant second. It is the pluralism of our loves that stops the power of our God. It is when everything is equal in my life that the love of God or the power of God is negated in my world. It is only when He is greater than, higher than, that he truly begins to change the person that I am. Do you understand what I'm talking about? This is making sense. And then he goes on, he says, listen, it's like a tower. It's also like a war. And imagine two kings are going to battle. One's got 10,000, one's got 20,000 troops. If the guy with 10,000 doesn't think he has it to beat the guy with 20,000, then he's gonna sit down and he's gonna ask, man, if I haven't got what it takes, I'd better make a peace treaty and try and negotiate my way out of this because there's no way a frontal war, I'm gonna win it. And listen, we're in a real war. When people are taking their own lives, we're in a real war. When drug addiction rises, we're in a real war. When hopelessness and confusion is beginning to impact a generation, we are in a real war. Now, let me just pivot. In in the book of Acts, about chapter 17 is the craziest story. I love it. It's about a priest by the name of Sceva. It's so good, I can't make it up. The priest's name is Sceva, and he has seven sons. The seven sons of Sceva. That's just an illustration looking for a place to happen, right? The seven sons of Sceva. Now, the seven sons of Sceva have a thriving business. Their business is exorcism. They are ghostbusters. 
When there is a problem in a person's life, they would come along and they would get the demon out of the person. This is their racket, this is their business. They have a whole patter, a way that they do it, a whole thing, it's got lights and bells and whistles and this is their deal. Now they'd heard the seven sons of Sceva that Jesus just spoke to demons and immediately they left. That, that Peter just invoked the name of Jesus. That Peter said, in the name of Jesus, come out and the demon left. And the seven sons of Sceva are like, this is amazing. We've got a set fee, it's taken us six hours, we can do this in 60 seconds. We've got we to get in on this thing. We don't have to reduce our fee, but we can, we, can, we can really make some money here, people. So they're like, okay, we're gonna give it a crack. So they've got a demon-possessed guy. This is the truth, I can't even make this up. They've got a demon-possessed guy, and they're like, okay, we're all in, You're gonna, we're gonna go for this, we're gonna give it a shot? And they're like, yeah, no, let's go, let's go, let's do it, let's do it, I got your back. So they're like, okay, in the name of Jesus and in the name of Peter, demon, come out. Great. The Bible says the demon-possessed man just sits up, looks at them, and he says, Jesus I know, and Peter I know, but who the heck are you? He jumps up, and in demon-influenced rage, he beats the seven of them up, strips their clothes off, and the seven sons of Sceva go running down the street butt-naked. I mean, it's too good. It's like, it's like it's right there in the Bible, and it literally does happen. And here is the thing, the seven sons of Sceva had the name of Jesus on their lips, but not the love of Jesus in their hearts. And the problem is, is that we can be a generation that hope that it's enough to have the name of Jesus on our lips. And Jesus said, no, we can defeat the devil. We can be victorious over every situation that comes into our lives. But it's not just the name of Jesus on our lips, it's the love of God in our hearts. That's what he's saying. He's saying, man, if this connects with your life, if you get this, then he's saying, man, in that moment, your life is going to be different. Because when you've got the love of Jesus in your heart, when you've got, when you've got a relationship with God that is deep and goes through every part of you, when, when I am first and every part of you is second, when there is you, me, sorry, daylight and every other love, then in that moment in your life, something's gonna change. Let me tell you what's gonna change. You're gonna face situations. And rather than being intimidated by them, you're gonna know that I've got victory over them. Rather than facing a pressure that you would normally bow to, you will say, no, there is only one name to which I will bow. Rather than being the generation that bowed to the statue that Nebuchadnezzar erected, you will become a Daniel, a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You will stand when society caves. You won't he said, Jesus, it's almost like Jesus going, I've got to put this into a word picture. I've got to tell you what I'm really saying. I'm saying that you're not going to be influenced by your culture. You're going to influence it. I'm saying that you're not going to be impacted by it, but you'll be the impact. I'm saying you won't be led by the crowd. You'll lead the crowd. I'm saying you won't be the one that is going along with everybody else, but you will literally be an influence. You will be an impact. You will bring a change in every environment to which you enter. How do I give this a descriptive? And he said, you will become like salt. Every environment that you go into, you will impact it. Every place where you go, you will change it. It won't be the world impacting you, it'll be you impacting the world. Listen, followers of Jesus are not dictated to by life, they determine the course of life. He's saying you will be victorious over what other people will be intimidated by, you will not be afraid of what other people will quiver, quiver before. 
you will fear the name of Jesus and your life is going to be radically different. And I think we need about three seconds of praise because Jesus comes to set us free. I have come, he said, that you may have life. And the way that we get his life is that we give him our love. Now, having already established it corporately, the Bible tells us that now in Luke 18, we jump over to a one-on-one -on -one scenario. And in Luke 18, we've got Jesus who's already told us what it means to follow him, having a conversation with the guy that's described in the Bible as a rich young ruler. He has the trifecta of our age. He has riches, he has youth, he has Botox, nipped, tucked, fit, flatboard abs. He is rich, he is young, and he has uh, he is a ruler, he has fame, he has everything that we want. He has the lifestyle, he is the perfect 1%. He gets to go on the planes to the ideal beach locations, eat the right meals, but strangely enough, not gain weight doing so. This is what this, I hate people like this, rich young ruler just has it all. And the Bible tells us that a man who on the outward looks like he has everything that our society would esteem comes to Jesus and says, I lack something. It isn't working. I've been working the system, but the system isn't working for me. When will we as a generation wake up and smell the coffee? That even though we've been chasing a dream and a fantasy that is portrayed for us in every book, every movie, every Instagram feed, and every moral, you know, societal message thrown at us that maybe everything that glitters is not gold. This rich young ruler 2,000 years ago worked out the emptiness of success. When, when are we gonna stop trying to emulate celebrities, many of whom are so broken that they're taking their lives with unprecedented numbers, it feels like to me. When are we gonna realize that there is more to life than what we're being sold? When will we stop opting in on the think of the crowd? And when we start being genuine followers of Jesus, right? The rich young ruler says to Jesus, good teacher. The moment he says good teacher, we know we've got a problem. Because anybody trying to sample Christianity but remain independent from a life of surrender to it likes to think of Jesus as a good moral figure. If you're out there today and somehow you're trying to reduce Jesus down to someone whose influence could make you a better person but you're not surrendering your life to him in worship, then just realize it didn't work for the rich young ruler and it ain't gonna work for you. And if you're confused about that, then let's, let's go through the same test Jesus did. The rich young ruler says, good teacher. Jesus goes, whoa, 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 why do you call me good? No one's good except God. Hang on a minute. You don't get to have like a little sample of me from take the truths you want and leaves the ones you don't. You don't get to say Jesus was a good teacher, good man. He's an inspirational figure. He's like a little Buddha. You don't get to do that with Jesus and expect him to impact your life. He's not, he's not a fluffy little cherub. He's not a historical figure. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of the universe. He is the only true God, and we don't come to Him and sample Him. We come to Him in awe and wonder, and we surrender to Him. He's like, how's your good teacher working out for you? Don't kill anybody, don't cheat, don't steal, don't commit adultery. That's what a good person does, right? How's that working? And the rich young ruler is forced to say out loud, I have all of, done all of that, and I'm still inwardly devoid of meaning and purpose. I'm broken, 
I'm fearful, I'm apprehensive. It is not working. We learn from another gospel that at this moment, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Loved him. And every teaching of Jesus is motivated by love. But not the kind of love that tells you that you don't need to change and there's nothing wrong with you the way you are. Not the kind of love that ignores the fact that you've got stuff all over your face and tells you you're beautiful anyway and sends you out into the world to make an idiot of yourself. The kind of love that says, listen, you better get that stuff off you so that people don't laugh at you. The kind of love that tells you not what you want to hear, but what you need. Jesus says one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have. Go and sell everything you have. Take all that you have, all the money in your life, give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. Jesus says, here's your problem, dude. There's no daylight. You're trying to hang on to God and hang on to your money and hang on to your fame and hang on to your perfect image. You have not created. You love me equally rather than love me singularly. It only works when there is one love, daylight and every other love. Motivated out of love, this guy is very sad because he has great wealth. And Jesus is like, this is, this is difficult. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to go into the kingdom of God. People are like, well, how then can anybody get saved? Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, everything's possible. Silence. You can imagine that this conversation caused everybody to do some deep thinking. To be a follower of Jesus is not just to have a crowd behavior followed by a mind that is somehow separated from the pursuit. To follow Jesus is about daily saying, you, daylight, this. If this competes with you, this goes. If this gets close to you, this gets surrendered. If this hinders my relationship with you, it must be forsaken. I love you, everything else. You can imagine that in the silence, nobody wants to speak first. Now, if we've got the Bible and we've got a silent moment and somebody's gonna talk first, anybody wanna take a guess who's it's gonna be, right? I mean, if we've got a biblical, if we've got a scenario in the Bible, in the Gospels, and there is a moment where nobody's talking, anybody want to take a guess who's going to be the first guy to speak? One, two, three, Peter. It's going to be Peter, 10 times out of 10. He will interrupt Moses and Elijah having a heavenly conversation with Jesus. He's just going to talk, right? You can imagine Peter, though, because this is not an empty statement Peter gives out. In fact, when you think about what Peter says now, just remember that it's got an exclamation mark at the end of it. He didn't just say this. He blurted this. He declared this. He emphatically said this. You can imagine him watching the exchange with the rich young ruler, and Peter is like, my Lord, wow, I can't believe Jesus just asked that of this guy. And then hearing the, the challenge of Jesus and 
hearing just a couple of days before that I've got to love you and hate everything else, Peter is standing there and he's going, hang on a minute, I had a fishing boat. I had a successful business. I had a neighborhood in which I was esteemed. I left all of that to become the follower of Jesus, to to trade my stability for the pursuit of you, to give away my business in order to follow you. And it just comes out of his mouth. He said, we have left everything, Jesus, to follow you. We left it all to follow you. I have made the daylight. That's what he's saying. He said, I, I chose you and I put everything else down here, Jesus. I did this. It's like he just realizes that I'm on the pathway. I'm a follower of Jesus. Now for every follower of Jesus, hear what Jesus said next. Because we started our reading today with the most challenging scripture. Anyone who does not hate his father and his mother, his brothers, his sisters, even his own life. We'll hear what Jesus now says to Peter. He said, he said in Luke 18 verse 29, I tell you the truth, no one who has left a home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much where? In this age, in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is saying, guys, listen, when you put me first and you put everything else as a distant second, when you take what you love, when you take what you desire, when you take what you esteem, when you take your most intimate relationships and you surrender them to me, then just realize that when I am in something, I never kill, I only ever give life. When I say, God, I love you more than my wife, I love you more than my children, this will never destroy or impact negatively the most valuable relationships in my life. It's only when I uncouple myself and I love you fully and completely that my, I need to get my love from you so that I can give it to my spouse. I need to get my identity in you and not in how perfect my children appear. I need to get my security in you and not in the balance of my bank account or the career path that I'm on. When I get what I need from Jesus, then at that moment, it frees my life and what is given to Him begins to be impacted by Him. And now we begin to discover that whatever is given to the life giver becomes full of the life that He gives. And that's why Jesus said, you gotta give it to me so that I can give it back to you. You gotta surrender it to me so that I can fill it with who I am. That's why Jesus asked each and every one of us to firstly, to become His follower. Because just to be inspired by Him is not to be impacted by Him. Just to be around Him is not to be changed by Him. And Jesus came that you may have life and life in all its fullness so that eternal life could be your destiny so that you could be free of the love of this world that will fade away so that you could know the love of Jesus shaping your daily reality. He invites us into the grand romance. There is no way that you can have a loving relationship with somebody unless you take your heart and you bear them, you bear your heart to them. 
There has got to be risk, exposure, and the possibility of pain. And when you come to Jesus and you want Him to change your life, you have to not only say, well, I'm willing to sample your teachings, Jesus. You have to be willing to say, I open my heart and my life and I surrender who I am to you. And only in the possibility that He could hurt you can He truly help you. He's inviting us into the grand romance. He's saying, I can't be one of many. I have to be number one. And it is the greatest invitation of life to be a follower of Jesus. Not to be afraid of what others fear. Not to be led off the same cliff with all the other lemmings but to have our hearts anchored in His truth, our identity established in His character, our direction determined by His Word is the greatest invitation given to any person in the history of the world. And Jesus said, that's why it only works when I am number one. Anybody here reckon somebody around you needed to hear that message today? Just tell the person next to you, I didn't need to hear that, but you really did. Just tell them right now. I'm good. I'm good, but I, I think you need to get challenged by that. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at arisechurch and at John Cameron NZ.